0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Would you please open your Bibles up to the book of Romans, the, sec- the third chapter, beginning with verse 21. We're going to spend the next cu- couple of... Uh, Weeks probably in this text, and we'll only get through the first couple of verses today. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 28. This is the Word of God, and it is eternally true. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No. But by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is what Scripture teaches. And this is what uh, is the first question and answer the shorter catechism. Probably most of us know it by heart. And... This is a short statement of what we were made for. Because starting with Adam and Eve and still today, every last one of us, we have been made to glorify God. We've not been made to be happy. We've not been made to be uh, educated or to work hard. Whatever we do that that is good, it's good because it glorifies God. And at the end of our life... It is not a life worth living based on how well we communicate or how rich we get or how hard we work. At the end of our life, the only thing that gives our life meaning is that we have glorified the one who made us. That's it. Sometimes I explain to uh, mothers that they need to deal with their children in such a way that their children give them joy because I explained to them that the whole purpose of having a child is to give his mother joy. No mother's going to have a child unless that child agrees from the beginning to to give her joy. Child comes out of the womb, she says to the the child, are you going to give me joy? Now that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's not an exaggeration to say that the purpose of a child is to give that child's mother joy. Why? Because she made him. And because she takes care of him. Now you know that I'm quoting the second uh, the second question in answer to the Shorter Catechism, or actually the children's catechism, because he makes me and takes care of me. We're so self-centered as a society that That we don't think about anybody but ourselves. We don't think about our mothers. We don't think about our fathers. We don't think about our pastors. We don't think about the Titus. We don't think about our teachers. And we certainly don't think about God. But our chief end, the purpose of our life, is to glorify God. That's why you exist. It's not about you. It's about him. We belong to him. We are the clay. He is the potter. And it is imperative that we give him the glory that is his due. Another word for glory is weight. (laughs) It's imperative that we give God the weight that is his due. Another way of describing it would be to talk about God's reputation or his honor or his name. It's imperative that we give God the name and the reputation and the honor that is his due. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And he does not enjoy God at all unless he's glorifying God. It is always the point or purpose of religion to mediate the tension and conflict between our knowledge of our sinful selves, so desperately wicked that no one can know it, including ourselves, and our knowledge of the Holy God. Have you ever noticed uh, talking to somebody and you're trying to counsel them about something? And as they talk to you about the decision they're facing or some sin in their life, you probe a little bit, and all of a sudden, you, 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 you come to something that is, you know, to you, uh, it's glaring. Yikes. You know, you ever had that moment with somebody where you're talking to them, and, and you go, Oi, yi, yi, yi. and you don't want to say it because it's so obvious and so horrible. But then, as you listen and watch them, you realize they're clueless. It can be something like a tumor that sticks out of the front of their head two and a half feet, and they're just completely oblivious to that tumor. It can pus, And this is our condition. We don't even know the degree to which we are filthy in our hearts. We, we don't even know it. Sometimes other people have the nasty job of explaining to us what our motivation is when we don't see it ourselves. We can see other people's sin, but we don't even know our own sin. We don't know our motivations. I, this last week I had an occasion to uh, uh, to quote in, in a post that I was writing uh, a book written back in the uh, fifth or fourth century by Gregory the Great, and it's a book on pastoral care. And so it's a whole book about how to f- how to how to test, you know, to give the blood work and and, and 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 the PET scan, all this stuff to to your people in your church. So the whole book is about how to give a physical examination to your patients. As a physician, but you're a physician of the soul, so it's how to examine the souls of your congregation in such a way that you heal their diseases, that you protect them from danger, that you, you hector them about their bad habits, that you, you know... And as a pastor you often see that people have no clue how sinful their motivations are. We're not talking about their sins. We're talking about their motivations. We, we're convinced that all of our motives are pure. This is why Proverbs says, all the, the ways of a man seem right in his own eyes. We're always sure that even if we do something wrong, what? Well, yeah, yeah, we have the right reason. You know, you know we meant well. Right, and so when we open up the Bible, what we what we see the Bible saying to us is that all our righteousness is as filthy rags, and we're so desperate to try to protect some of our righteousness, or to say, "Okay, if you're talking about acts and deeds, but not about motivation, I always meant well." <laughs> you know, you can imagine a, a, a you can imagine a gravestone, right, right. Yeah. The gravestone that I'm going to have is going to have, you know, heroize Tim Bailey, 1953 to ni- or 2018. He meant well. <laughs> oh my. So in other words, look, even when we see our sin, we're desperate to try to say that the motive behind the sin was was good. And as we go through life, because you know, I I told you that last week as I walked into the church on Sunday morning, no, I guess it was sometime, I don't know, it was sometime in the last week, it was this gentle breeze. And the sun was out, and I thought, how can God give me and all of us such good gifts? A gentle, cool, it wasn't hot, a cool breeze, the beauty of the flowers and the trees, the birds, the killdeer. And then we look at ourselves and we say, My purpose is to glorify God, and I'm not doing a very good job of it. And then we have a pastor or a doctor or a wife who shows us that even at the places we think we're doing not so terribly, that our motives aren't pure, and it can be such a despairing thing to see who we are. And then we read the Bible saying, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then we realize we can't even know our own sin. And then we realize that the Old Testament says that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. And all of religion is an attempt to cope with these realities. Religion is our effort to, to, to deal with the gap between what God is, which is holy, and what we are, which is filthy and we all know it, and we know God is perfect, we know he's holy, and we know that we're not, religion mediates that gap. That's what religion is for, right? Right? And there are a whole bunch of different religions, but they all mediate that gap. So you can have a religion that is animist, you can have a religion which is sort of meditation. Um. You can have a religion that is uh, sacramental. You can have a religion that is uh, blood. To me, one of the fascinating things is how many religions have blood at their center and yet not the blood of Jesus. You know, it says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. How many religions in history point to the knowledge that is said there? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so people will sacrifice sheep and goats and chickens. And there there are all kinds of religious orgies of blood. As a matter of fact, in the ancient world, in the early church, you know what they thought we did when we had the Lord's Supper? They thought it was cannibalism. Think about that. Why would they think that? Well, because they're prepared to believe that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. What is it when a man takes his little child and puts it in the mouth of Moloch, this god of the Canaanites, and then it's burned to a crisp? What is that? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The life is in the blood. And so religion is our attempt to mediate the tension, the horror that we have, looking at the holiness of God and looking at ourselves. Okay? And you're prepared to say that Santa or voodoo or, you know, animism, we can come up with all kinds of different religions and see, yes, they are trying to deal with that conflict, that horror, that tension, right? But what about the academy? What about higher education? It's the same thing. The east side of Bloomington and Owen County are precisely the same. Because both of them are using drugs to escape the tension. The drug of intellectual pride, the drug of crystal meth. It can be alcohol. It can be just simply engaging in the vain pursuits of the Soho District of New York. It can be art. It can be literature. It can be getting published. It can be ice fishing. And we are all insanely religious in the pursuit of whatever it is that mediates the tension between our sin and God's holiness. And it's all religion. One of the things that drives me bonkers is people that go around gabbing about how America is a country that separates church and state. It's just completely bogus. There's nothing more insanely religious than secularism. Secularism is a, an insanely religious pursuit of rebellion against God, of thinking that one can live one's life without reference to God in one's laws and, and one's principles. and This is insane. And all you can see on the part of a secularist is their insane rebellion against God. It's obvious. It's like this tumor that comes two and a half feet out in front you know, but somehow they think that they're secular, you know. This is not religion. You ready for this? Did you hear me? This is not religion, right? And the louder they shout it, the more the tumor grows. There is no such thing as the person who lives in a secular in a religious world, we are made for worship, and we always worship. This is the, the truth about us. <laughs> you know, some, some of you might remember inter groups on campus, right? And so I, I went to speak to the inter-varsity group on campus when I first came to Bloomington. And you know what I'm going to say. It's a little group of people, and amongst that group, there is what? He's there every single week. What? Well, they used to call him the village fool, and now they call him the atheist. Why is there always an atheist on campus parachurch ministry nights? There always is. Why is that atheist there every single week? He doesn't believe in God. So why does he keep coming and telling everybody that he doesn't believe in God? Well, it's because he fears God. He knows God. And he is there to sort of play around the edges and see if he can't convert himself. No one is any different. Nobody's a snowflake. Everybody fears God, and everybody knows that God will hold them accountable when they die. Every single person. God has revealed this to us. And so we all have our religions, and we all are very intense about our religions. I've been reading, and I keep mentioning this, I've been reading this biography of Stalin. David and I are in the second volume at about the same place. So David sent me a picture a week and a half ago or Sunday morning, no, right before worship, he sent me a picture of him right next to where Stalin was a little boy and then the museum, you know. Here's a man that killed, what, somewhere between 20 and 70 million people. And if you read his biography... You know that the reason Stalin killed these people is Stalin was convinced that he had the solution to the sinfulness of man. What was it? Well, it was insane advocacy of the proletariat. You know, he was willing to crack, you know, 20 to 60, 70 million eggs in order to change the world in such a way that there would be finally. No poverty, peace, everybody would have what they needed. And if you have to kill, you know, fifty million people in order to get there, and, and so Stalin in in the Great Terror, the bloody terror of like uh, thirty six to thirty nine, what Stalin did was he systematically went through all the leaders of his nation and he tortured them and then killed them. Tortured, kill, tortured, kill, torture, kill. He was insanely religious in torturing and killing everybody at the top of his country. So that by the time he was done, Hitler himself said that Stalin was insane. Because by the time he was done, there were no Secret Service agents left in Russia, and there were no military leaders left. What happened was a guy would out the guy, and, uh, t- uh, he'd accuse the guy above him, so that guy would be taken and put into the cellar beneath the secret service building, and he'd be tortured and tortured and tortured and tortured and tortured. And so finally, he confessed his crimes, which you're going to do if you're tortured and tortured and tortured, right? And then they, they would write them up, they'd send them to Stalin, and Stalin would cross out some things and write in other things, changing the, the torture produced confession, you know. Solomon was very particular about these things. And then they kill him. And the guy that outed him would then be promoted to his position. And a couple months later, what do you think happens? He's put down in the cellar. And by the end, something like 90% of his military leaders were Dead. And then Stalin began to have articles run in Pravda and other publications saying that we have a wonderful opportunity to put young people into leadership in this country. Well, of course. (laughs) All the old people were killed. Listen, Stalin, when you read his biography, what you realize is you are Stalin. Do you understand me? It's very simple to see how I could be Joseph Stalin. That's what a good biography does, is it shows you how reasonable the man is. <laughs> until, until you see the holiness of God. Until you fear God. Listen, we can, we can give ourselves to the Roman Catholic sacraments, all seven of them, We can do daily Mass. We can do auricular confession. We can make pilgrimages to Fatima. We can stay married to the same woman our whole life. We can get three PhDs. We can do anything we want. And when it's all done, we are dirty. And God is holy. And that's the dilemma. You are dirty, and God is holy. I am dirty. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the seminary professors and your pastor, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so what is the solution? Did God create us to be hopeless? Did God create us to go around telling other people that they're as hopeless as we are? I often think that that's the purpose of being a member of Clearnote Church. You know, we're the people that specialize in telling people how hopeless they are. But but not to worry, we'll fully admit we're hopeless too. But we have a certain superiority in being able to explain to other people how hopeless they are. What is the purpose of the law of God? What is the purpose of the law of God? Because honestly, it does not make me feel good. Does the law of God make you feel good? When God says that if a man doesn't sleep with a woman, but he looks at her with lust, he's committed adultery, does that make you feel good? No. What does it make you feel? It makes you feel hopeless. And so, you know, you can do crystal meth, you can drink, you can go get lots of degrees and and be supercilious. And if you don't know the word supercilious, it don't matter, because they do. As a matter of fact, it is onomatopoetic. If you don't know the word onomatopoetic, don't worry, they do. We can look down our noses at everybody and what does god say god says this god says not by the works of the law not by the works of the law and and that's just depressing because what it means is you've been thrown into the middle of the pacific ocean the boat doesn't notice you're gone and you were clinging desperately to a life preserver. And then God took your life preserver from you. And it was a pathetic little thing, you know. It was like one of them noodles, you know. And, and, and it's really not going to work long. But at least it was something you could cling to, right? Isn't that how the law works with us? We, we cling to it. And then we're convinced that God grades on a scale, And the fact that we go to a church that teaches the law as the law is, you know, that makes us okay because it means that we're a little bit more observant than the poor idiot at a church that doesn't teach the law, right? And so we're clinging, and then what does God say? Well, what God says is, but now, apart from the law. And the truth is, despite the law showing us how sinful we are, how wicked we are, how our righteousness is as filthy rags, despite all of that, we still cling to the law desperately because it's our only hope. But it says, but now, apart from the law. And so it's like... uh, (laughs) It's like... uh, I know, I, I, I use certain illustrations over and over again. Okay, here's one I use a lot. All right. Often I use this to explain to a husband that he has to bust his wife's claws loose from her children as they become adults. Okay, But it works well. You remember Al Parker, right? He trains hawks and then he has them on his leather and he, you go beat the bushes and he sends his hawk out there and then gives the hawk a check so that the rabbit will come to him, right? It's an exchange, right? And so one day, Al said to me, my hawk put his talons through my palm. And I'm like, oh, yikes, you know? Right through his palm. And he says, I said, what did you do? He said, well, I couldn't pull away because the more I pulled, the tighter the talon got. That's how God made him. I said, well, what did you do? And he said, well, I punched it in the head. Remember that homeschooling moms? <laughs> that's what I tell your husband to do so that you'll let loose of your children. Okay? All right, I'm going to go back to the text, but did, that you don't have to pay for, but it's an important one. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He says, but now apart from the law. And it's like, bam, bam. And we need something on that level. It's apart from the law. The righteousness of God has been manifested. Why why do we have to be punched? Why do we have to be told apart from the law? Because God does save us to the law. It's not that the law is illegitimate. Why does he have to punch us and say apart from the law? Well, it's because we're self-righteous. It's because we always want to think that we can somehow, somehow please God. And we can, but how do we please God? We please God by giving up on our little noodle and looking to Jesus. Do you remember that image of Peter going into the water? He wants to walk on the water like Jesus. Remember that? So he asked Jesus, let me come to you. And so he steps on the water and, and he actually walks on the water, but then what? Well, his faith is gone and he begins to sing and he, it's, it's sink and he cries out to Jesus, Help me! And Jesus is pleased to help those who don't help themselves. <laughs> Listen, God does not want you glorified and God doesn't want your children intimidated by how good you are. The point of life is not for your children to feel that they can never live up to who their father and mother is. The point of life is to glorify God. And God is glorified by what? Is God glorified by man's independence? Hmm? No. God is glorified by man's dependence. God loves for us to be dependent on him. He loves for us to be dependent on him. And yeah, it is pathetic. (laughs) You know? to a certain type of supercilious intellectual. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God. Why screw around with the power of man, the intellect of man, if you can have the power of God? Huh? I, there's nothing I like better than being dependent on God. Oh, I know. It irritates me regularly. You know, it just bugs the snot out of me. You know, to be dependent on God, it's so pathetic. By 64, one would think that one has the ability to have some sort of something to somehow commend oneself to those... And then it's back to God. And it's apart from the law. Because God will not share his glory with me He won't. He won't do it. Why? Well, because God is a jealous God. And what is God jealous for? God is jealous for his own glory. And he's not going to share it with you. He's not going to share it with you. He won't do it. He won't do it. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of Susan has been manifested. The righteousness of Margaret has been manifested. Oh boy, we go around all the time during the week and manifest our righteousness, don't we? Huh? I just had one of the uh, assistant principals of our children tell me that our children are self-righteous and have no compassion for weak people. Oh, guess what? Your children are you. You're Adam and Eve, and your children are you. It doesn't say the righteousness of Margaret or Linda. It says, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Do you know what manifest is? Manifest is that little button you click on the liquidator site, and it opens up everything in the lot. Right? Manifest is what you get from the ship, showing you what's in its bowels. In other words, it displays, it reveals. And so what God is saying here is uh, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been what? It's been opened up, it's been revealed. And then, being witnessed by the Law and the Prophets. Law and the Prophets is the way that we refer to Scripture. In the Old Testament, there's just two categories, Law and the Prophets. Then you add a third one, wisdom, but really, when it says Law and the Prophets, it's referring to all of the Old Testament. And so, apart from the Law, the righteousness of God has been made clear and has been witnessed to by the Law and the Prophets. They pointed to Jesus. All the Old Testament points to Jesus. All the Old Testament is witnessing to the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. All the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. God is not jealous of his glory, showing his son how much superior he is to his son. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? You know how a certain father is always showing how superior he is to his son? You know what I'm talking about? Some fathers are always in a contest with their son to show their son that he can never live up to them. God is not interested in showing his superiority to Jesus. In other words, God is not jealous about the glory of Jesus Christ. He has given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. And this doesn't bother God, the Father. But it really bothers him when you claim that you can come to him through anything but the blood of his son. Because let me tell you, when he gives up his son, when he puts his son on that cross and you refuse to come to him through that son, you can pretty well predict how he's going to feel about that. He will not allow you to honor yourself. He will demand that you honor that son. And it's very helpful to me in my life to think of all the names of particular historical persons who will bow their knee before Jesus Christ. I love to think of Hitler. I love to think of Donald Trump. I love to think of Stalin. I love to think of Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre. And they will bow their knees before the Son because this is the Father's pleasure. This is to his glory. The righteousness of God through faith in his Son. Jesus Christ and then the wonderful qualifier which is for all those who believe all and then in case you didn't get it it says for there is no distinction you think about all our pecking orders you know racial pecking orders and skin tone pecking orders and cultural pecking orders and victim pecking orders and You know, even down to which part of France you're from and what your accent is. You know, pecking orders galore. And then we read in Romans, it says that there is no distinction. And what is that modifying? It's modifying the fact that all those who believe through faith in Jesus Christ will be saved. The only righteousness that gives us any hope is the righteousness of Jesus. It's the only hope for us, is that we're pathetic and we give ourselves to the foolishness of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Now, one, one caution here. Don't turn faith into a work that you have to do. Faith can be a work just like obedience can be a work. You cannot marshal the faith because the faith itself is a gift of God. And God gives the gift of faith so that you won't boast. And why would he say that? Well, because that's our propensity. You know, we're always boasting. That's all we ever do. We always boast. Even when we're boasting about how our mama didn't like us, it's a boast. I put up a, a tweet this week from Samuel Johnson saying, even when we talk about our defects, we're actually boasting because we're showing how big we are that we can talk about our defects. You know? And this is us. You know? It really is us. You know, it's not me. It's not me. because I don't want to talk about doing that kind of stuff because it would be showing you how I'm actually bigger than that. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, that's how twisted we are, you know? We can just tie ourselves up in knots trying to show that we're different than other people. But God has a monosyllabic, Flat, straight, and narrow road to heaven. And it's through Jesus. That's it. And and we can't try, we can't try to avoid the road of humility and being pathetic by marshalling faith because faith itself is a gift. Why? Well, so that no man will boast. We can't boast. We can't boast. There is no distinction. All those who believe. For why? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. You. You. Don't, don't look next to you. You have sinned. And you fall short of the glory of God. And one day soon, you will stand before the presence of God. And you will either justify yourself. Or you will point to Jesus. And he will say, he's my only hope. And it will sound as pathetic as pathetic can be. And because you have faith, you won't let Satan shake you off it because of him. Because of him. This last week, a number of you saw uh, a news item that I wouldn't often characterize news items as as horror, but I would this one. You read about the obituary, the paid obituary that was put in the newspaper up in Minneapolis, or not Minneapolis, Minnesota. Here's what a brother and a sister paid to have written about their 80-year-old mother who had just died. This is what they said about their mother. In 1962, she became pregnant by her husband's brother. And then they name him, I'm not going to. And she moved to California. She abandoned her children, this is is her children writing. And they named themselves Gina and Jay. She abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, who were then raised by her parents in the city. And they named the city and then they give their names. And then they say this. She passed away on May 31, 2018 in Springfield and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by Gina NJ. And they understand that this world is a better place without her. Full stop. That's the end. And you wonder... What are Gina and Jay going to say when they stand before a holy God? Do they really think that God is going to accept them? Do they really think that there's any way to stand in the presence of God? Do they think that because they didn't abandon their husband or their wife or their children because they didn't move to California, that God will be impressed? Listen, all of us, every single person here needs to face the fact that we will stand alone before God. And the only righteousness that he will accept is the righteousness of his son. That's it. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. And how do we get that righteousness? By faith. And where do we get faith? Well, (laughs) from God. And so, how do we get faith from God? Well, I imagine probably by asking. I don't think we can work on it. I think we have to ask Him to give us faith. Because He says it's a gift. So the righteousness is a gift of God through Jesus Christ. The faith by which we avail ourselves of the righteousness comes from God. It's a gift. And so it seems to me, if I'm tracking all this right, it seems to me that it's, it's all of God. All of God and none of it ourselves. It seems to me that there's no point in being proud. It seems to me there's no point in keeping track of our reputation unless we pray to God someday, have someone say that we are humble and meek. You know? What a beautiful thing to have somebody say about us that we're humble and meek. Don't you want to die having people not remember you but remembering your Savior? Isn't that really what you want? Don't you want people at your funeral to think about Jesus? Isn't that what you want? Isn't that really what you want? You want them to think about Jesus. You want them to forget any of the places where you called attention to yourself, but you want them to remember every single place where you called attention to the glory of God. Isn't that what you want, honestly? Give me some love. I mean, honestly, isn't that what we want? Please, if you die, do not subject me to another one of these stupid, awful funerals that I have to go to. Please talk to me about the resurrection in Jesus Christ. Please don't talk to me about yourself. And you say, oh, that's up to my relatives. Yeah, your relatives will do precisely. What you tell them to do. Apart from the law, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, to all who believe with no distinction. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And if you don't have faith, ask him. He will give it to you. Because he says that nobody that comes to him will he ever cast out. (laughs) Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that there is in Jesus. We thank you that it isn't in our, ourselves, Father. We know that we're hopeless. And so, Father, we take such joy in Jesus. Would you please make him great in our midst? Would you give him glory? Would you have us sing his praises? And would you remove from us anything that causes us to turn from him? For we ask this in Jesus' name.